Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. We're going to start a new series today, and I want to just sort of tell you a little bit about the way my life is going. So I recently started in a, I was invited into this really high-level mentoring group. Now, this mentoring group, over the next two years, is with people from all around the world. Uh, and, and what we're discovering or what we're digging into is we're, uh, we're trying to understand more clearly and deeply the kingdom of God. I know some of you study CrossFit. Some of you play board games. I nerd out on the kingdom of God. So that doesn't make me more holy. It actually probably makes me nerdier um, than all of you. So, but one of the things that, that this group is doing is like we're like reading all of the stuff around the time of Jesus, okay? Like there's all kinds of literature to give us a perspective of what the world was like in the first century around the time of Jesus. And so we're studying all of this stuff, really trying to get a picture of like what was the environment that Jesus showed up in? What was the the world like? What was the impact? And what we've discovered in a very short period of time, what we've discovered is that when Jesus showed up in Israel, there was a ripple that went across the nation. Like Jesus showed up and just started claiming things that one shouldn't claim and doing things that one shouldn't do. And so everybody was sort of like, who is this guy? What's he up to? Some groups were angry at him. Some groups were like, this might be the Messiah. Some groups were convinced. And so this ripple happened, and then Jesus left, and after Jesus left, this, what was left, this small group of disciples sent the same ripple across the known world. Like, think about how few people we're actually talking about here. If you just think about the inner circle, you know, you had 12, Judas kills himself, you have 11, they replace him, 12 people, even at a wider scope, if you look in Acts, like early on, there's like 120 people, right, in the upper room, Acts 2. So there's a small group of people, less than there are Christians in this city. And yet they radically altered an entire landscape forever. They changed the trajectory of history forever. Which does two things to me. And maybe it does two things to you. And the reason I'm telling you this is I'm hoping it does the same thing to you. On the one hand, I'm like, oh God, would you do it again here? How many of you think that? You're like, oh, God, would you do it again here, right? We've been watching the news, and we've been experiencing all the things that we experience, and the drugs are out of control, and schools are under fire, and all the things. Oh, God, would you do it again here? That's the one side. And then there's this other side of me that tends to, like, tends towards despair. It's like something's amiss. How many of you feel that way? You feel the same way I do. You're like, on the one hand, you're like, God, would you do it again? And on the other hand, you're like, I just, I don't know. Why is it that the world doesn't change the way that it did, that these 12 disciples changed the landscape of the world, and yet 12 churches or more, 12 states of churches, make little to no difference in the world? Why is that? 
And where I land is something must be missing. There's something missing. We're beginning this new series with, that I'm really excited about. I don't know about you. You can get excited over the next couple weeks. Um, but it's with uh, hundreds of vineyard churches across the United States. So we're doing this series called Empowered. Looking, it's, it's leading us to Pentecost, which is at the end of May. And we're doing it in conjunction with hundreds of vineyard churches all across the United States. If you look on Facebook, social media, whatever, you'll find a lot of them sharing the exact same graphic. We're not all doing the exact same order of the sermons. But uh, we're doing this sermon series together because we have a great hope that God actually does want to do it again. That God actually does want to do something again in and through us. That God actually does have plans and hope for Altoona, that he has plans and hope for Central PA, and he has plans and hope for the world. We actually do believe that something's going to happen. And what I want to talk about today as we start this series, the thing I want us to understand at bedrock is that disciples of Jesus are desperate for the empowering presence of the Spirit. Disciples of Jesus are desperate for the empowering presence of the Spirit. I'm calling today's message, There's Something Missing. Let's pray, and then we'll look at Scripture together, all right? So Jesus, we just, we come just longing to see you do it again. Longing to see our city changed, and Lord, even as there are reports that even this week of just drugs and all kinds of stuff, even around this this location that we find ourselves in, Lord, I do believe that you want to do it again. And so, God, I ask that you would come by the presence and power of your spirit, that you would fill this place, that you would fill me, God, that you would change us today. Would you put your words in my mouth, Lord? Would you enable me to speak faithfully to what it is that you desire to say? Come, Holy Spirit. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to look at Acts chapter 1. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 1. Um, And Acts, just so you have some context... Acts is written by Luke, the same guy who wrote the Gospel of Luke. So Acts is part two of like a two-part series. So Luke wrote part one in the Gospel of Luke, and then he writes part two in Acts. And at some level, it's broken down by Jesus' ministry and then Jesus' ministry through his disciples. So that's sort of the, the very broad breakdown of what happens between Luke and Acts, these are, they kind of go together. And so what you'll find as we start in Acts is that Luke sort of just picks up and like, there's like a little bit of like a, I don't know if you guys, like the, the thing now, if you binge Netflix, nobody else does that, right? Just me. I'll tell you what it's like. If you binge Netflix, most of the shows anymore will give you this little recap, right? Like right at the beginning, they sort of go, last time. They used to do that on This Is Us, right? Whenever This Is Us was a thing. Um, and it would say, previously on This Is Us. And it's sort of like this recap, right? And you see all these things that aren't even necessarily from the same episode, but they all sort of paint a picture of where we're going, right? You know this experience. 
And so when we start in Acts, that's what Luke does. He kind of pulls a this is us previously on Jesus and the disciples. This is what happened, okay? So as we read this, I want you to see that. We're going to begin Acts 1, verse 1, and here's what we read. It says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, that's the the recap. That's the recap. Now, you know, if you go back broadly and read the book of Acts, you'll go, oh, that's what I I should find. Verse 4, on one occasion, now he's turning to something specific. Also, you can find this in the end of Luke. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then Jesus leaves. Like that's kind of a mic drop moment, right? So what's going to happen? I'm out. Right? And so if you read on, he he leaves and these angels are like, what are you guys looking for? And they're kind of like, well, we didn't know where he went. Um, and, And the angels say, well, he'll be back. You don't need to worry. He'll be back. Now there's tons of things. How many of you, just just out of curiosity... How many of you have studied this passage before? Show of hands. How many of you have heard this passage preached before? So most of us have some level of familiarity with this passage, and there's all kinds of things, right? Don't you just see the hobby horses? Like, hey, there was that great sermon, and they talked about, you know, evangelism, and, you know, where's your Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, right? Have you done that, right? Or, or some study that you came across, you're like, oh, the Greek word for, for witness is martus. It means martyr. Okay. Wow. Right? And so all of us, we read this, and we, and we sort of are tempted to hop off onto the things we like the most in everything we've heard about this passage. And so there's all kinds of things we could look. And what I want to say right at the outset is our understanding of what is happening here, I believe, is very deeply influenced by what it is we believe discipleship is. Let me say it again. Our understanding of this passage is very deeply tied to what it is we believe discipleship is. Or to flip it the other way, whatever you'd believe discipleship to be, to be a disciple of Jesus, will color how you read this passage. And I don't have time to like go into all the ways that happens, but let me explain why I say that. So Jesus is here talking to his disciples. And these guys have been following Jesus for three plus years. And they all sort of get invited to follow Jesus. And as they get invited to follow Jesus, they see him do these mind-blowing things, right? They see him raise a girl from the dead. Well, she's dead. Now she's not dead. I don't know how that happened. He's amazing. They see him stand up and talk to a storm, and it stops. I don't know. I've never done that. Have you? 
I've tried to do that before. I always feel a little bit foolish. Anybody else try to do that? This is like true confessions. You ever stand in the face of a storm and go, stop! And you're like, I knew it didn't work. <laughs> I knew it wasn't going to work for me. There's something missing uh, in, in, the, in the tools I got. But they've watched this guy for three plus years do amazing things. They've watched him deal with this demoniac, and, and this demoniac is like dangerous. And he says, come out. And the demons do. And they're like, what is this? They see him heal the sick over and over and over and over again. He does all of these things, and then he talks about this kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God, and talks about it in a way that the the Bible says has authority, unlike all the other teachers. And so they follow this guy for three plus years, and then all of a sudden he does this thing where he goes, now you guys do it. Right? How many of you have seen The Chosen? Have you watched The Chosen? Have you seen the scene where Jesus sends out the disciples? And they're kind of like, you forgot to tell us something. (laughs) I think we're missing something here because you're telling us to go do all the things that you did. And it feels like we should be, need a magic wand or something, right? There's this like panic moment. Like Jesus goes, okay, now you've watched me do this. You've seen me do this. You go do it. So they go out and they do it and for a little while and, and, and they see that it actually works. They too cast the demons out. They too heal the sick. They raise the dead. They preach about the kingdom of God in a way that has authority. And they come back. And Jesus hears and celebrates with them and then redirects them, right? You know, like don't celebrate that the demons submit to you. Celebrate that your names are written in the book of heaven, right? You know this line? So he sort of redirects them. There's this training process that happens. And this is Jesus' discipleship. This is the context of discipleship as Jesus intends. I want you to think for a minute. We all have a whole bunch of ideas about what it means to do discipleship, don't we? If you've been in the church for any amount of a time, you have some idea about what it means to be a disciple and to do discipleship. But the early disciples had nothing. Jesus showed them. This is like, you know, it's like riding on a clean slate. This is how you do discipleship. So when they get to this Acts 1 moment, Jesus says, all that stuff that I trained you to do, all that stuff that we worked on, all that stuff that you did and you got got the mechanics down and you know how to teach about the thing, he says, don't do any of it until the Holy Spirit comes. The only way this actually makes sense is in the context of discipleship the way Jesus did it. It's discipleship that is actually becoming like Jesus, doing the things Jesus did. This is discipleship. And so when he says, don't leave until you have received the baptism in the Holy Spirit... What he's saying is all those things we did won't work until you're filled with the Holy Spirit. That you don't have the power to do the things I've asked you to do as disciples without the Holy Spirit. You need power. That's the context for this. And the disciples are like, oh, great. (laughs) Right? Oh, that's... You've asked us to do a lot of things, Jesus, <laughs> and they're really, really hard, and uh, it's not very natural, and 
I don't know about this stuff. And once you're gone, now we can't even ask you. And now what are we going to? And they receive it. They welcome it because they know that in the context of what Jesus has asked them to do, they need something else. That's the context of this passage. And if you understand discipleship the way Jesus taught discipleship, if you understand this, your response is to welcome a baptism with the Holy Spirit. It's natural. If you understand that discipleship the way Jesus taught it is doing things that are far beyond your human capability, then when Jesus says, I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, you're like, oh, thank God. That's all I've ever wanted. I need that power. I need that presence. I need the love of God to immerse and saturate my life, which is what baptism means, right? If you've never been here for one of our baptisms, we put the tank here, fill it with water, and then we put people under. Not that hard, right? We gently relax people under the water, right? Hold them until the bubbles stop. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Jerry's not happy with that one. That's okay. But like everything gets wet, right? Right? When we baptize people, like you are immersed, soaked, overwhelmed by the water, right? Tulia says overwhelmed by the cold of the water, if you remember a couple weeks ago. That's the picture of what it is to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It's overwhelmed. It's immersed. It's saturated. There's no part of you that's not touched by the Holy Spirit. That's the picture. Everything gets immersed with the Holy Spirit. And what's important to understand is that from Jesus' perspective, everything he has taught the disciples to know, be, and do requires this. Everything. He doesn't say, well, you know, go start preaching. And then when the Holy Spirit comes, then you can do the power stuff. He says, no, 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 no. Everything I have called you to do, don't do any of it until the power comes upon you. None of it. This is like, what do you call it? The plumb line of discipleship. And if we consider ourselves disciples of Jesus and we understand it the way that, we, that Jesus teaches it, we hunger for this. We long for it. We desire it. Because if we don't have it, whatever else we think we're doing, we're not accomplishing what Jesus intends. We long for it. We hunger for it. Because to be baptized with the Holy Spirit is to be completely immersed in the power and the presence and the love of God. Now, I said that your picture of what discipleship is will color how you see this passage. So if we look at the other side, if there's anything amiss in how we understand discipleship, understand discipleship, speaking is hard. If there's anything amiss the passage immediately becomes less clear. We start focusing on all kinds of other things. Well, it's really about evangelism. Uh, yes, and. Uh, it's really about charismatic gifts. Uh, yes, and. It becomes less clear 
if we understand discipleship as anything else. Now, I'm not going to tell you all the ways that this could possibly look, but I do want to say and offer this as a, as a caution If you are someone who would consider yourself a disciple of Jesus and you don't long to be immersed in the Spirit of God, in the love of God, in the presence of God, something is likely missing in your understanding of discipleship. And it's worth wondering why. It's worth considering. If we don't find ourselves in constant need to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, It's worth considering why, because something is missing in our understanding of discipleship. We don't find ourselves uh, constantly longing for it. Listen, if the main idea, if, if the main of our activities as disciples of Jesus don't mandate that God give us some kind of power we don't have, if the things we do would look the same, whether or not the Spirit of God came upon us, something is wrong with how we consider ourselves to be disciples. And just do a heart check. Like, seriously, right now, as you're sitting here right now, if you consider yourself a disciple of Jesus, are the things that you do in your discipleship, like, do they necessitate the power and presence of God? Or could you pretty much do them without it? You kind of do this pretty well off without it. Is everything just sort of like natural, like, hey, we just sort of do sociological things that work, and we've kind of taken the best advice from people? If your stuff could be explained without the presence and power of God, is it really discipleship? Are you really a disciple of Jesus? There's somebody, and I just had this quote come to mind, and I, it's, uh, you know, that if the early church had the Holy Spirit removed, 95% of what they did would stop and everyone would notice. If the Holy Spirit was removed from what we do, 95% of what we do would go on and, and nobody would notice. That's the question I'm asking of you. Is that your discipleship? Is that what your discipleship of Jesus looks like? And here's the reason I ask that. Because at the very beginning as I started, the things that I long to see God to do, the things that we all long to see God do, it feels like something is missing, and this is what I think it is. I think it's the Holy Spirit. You know, so much of what we do and what we call discipleship in the church in 2023 doesn't at all look like what Jesus modeled. Like at all. I want you to think about it for just a minute. You know, like for a whole bunch of factors, we tend to focus our discipleship on making sure people know things, right? Let me just think about it for a minute. Think about everything that you've done in the past, however long you've been following Jesus, on your way to discipleship. And think about sort of the form that they take, right? It's a sermon. I'm trying to get you to know things. It's a podcast. Trying to take in content and information so I can know things. It's book. We're going to do a book study. We're going to do a Bible study. We're going to do a, a, a conference. And it's all about knowledge transfer. Have you seen this? The vast majority of what we do by way of discipleship nowadays is knowledge transfer. It's content delivery. And don't mishear me. I don't think knowing things is bad. Jesus taught his disciples and expected them to know things. 
I just think it's incomplete. I think knowledge in and of itself doesn't drive us to need to be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to live a life beyond our own capacities. Listen, as somebody who loves knowledge, if you have seen my office, I just soak up books like it's my job. If you have books, I'd be willing to take them, by the way. I listen to podcasts on 2.0 speed because I want to get more, okay? And so I'm not just saying you all this, this, this. I'm saying this is even my own temptation. As somebody who loves knowledge, what I understand to be true about myself and my own discipleship is left unchecked, my knowledge makes me dependent on me and not on God. That's what knowledge does. It has this tendency to make ourselves self-dependent. And left to my own devices, I would try to make everything about this thing that we call the vineyard work based on my knowledge. And if I were to take an honest look before the Lord, the temptation is to not need the Spirit of God to show up and do anything. And if I'm even more honest, I didn't even write this down. This is a scary place to be. I'll come over here. You guys feel like you won't judge me. Maybe. I don't know. There's just more of you. If I'm more honest, it's really rooted in my desire to be in control of how life works. And as we've spent the last three weeks in the, the Entrusted series talking about, is we are not the ones in control here. As disciples, we are entrusted with the things God gives us to manage them the way he wants. But do you know everything in my soul wants to be in control? That's why I like flying airplanes. I, you know, all the rest of you guys sit in the back and you freak out about how you don't have control, but I actually do, right? Don't you want control? Isn't that the thing that we all struggle with? We want to know what's going to happen. We want to be in control of everything. And yet there's something about discipleship, the way Jesus models it, that leaves you completely stunned all the time. John Wimber said that, that, uh, that to be a disciple is to be a fool. I'm a fool for Christ. It means I'm just going to look foolish as I follow Jesus. Over and over and over. I can't tell you how many times that's happened. Jesus says, do this, and you go up and you try it, and you're like, it didn't work the way I thought you said it was going to work. Why didn't you do the thing you said you were going to do? And I think there's something about Jesus not wanting us to be in control, but being dependent on him. And so my question is, does your discipleship put you in dependence on the Holy Spirit? But it goes beyond that, right? Like this idea of knowledge. I think we probably all know this, but do you know that more knowledge does not necessarily produce more Christ-likeness? Some of the people who know the most about Scripture and who know the most about theology are the least like Jesus. Have not developed any capacity to love those who are different than them. To love the outsider like Jesus. Knowledge in and of itself does not produce Christ-likeness. And we know this, right? Don't you know this? Have you ever, how many of you have tried to do something hard in your life? 
like tried to like change something hard about your life. I'm addicted to this thing, you know, I'm way overweight, I'm gonna stop, I'm gonna eat better and I'm gonna change this or I'm trying to get off of cigarettes, I'm gonna quit smoking or, you know, I, I get drunk all the time, I'm gonna stop doing that. How many of you have tried repeatedly, right? Most of you have tried repeatedly to do something that's hard. Does it help you if I go, hey, just so you know, the more cigarettes you smoke, the sooner you're gonna die. Is that helpful? That's facts. It's knowledge. But, it, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I've gone, man, you know, if I don't exercise enough, man, I know what the, the health impacts of not exercising are. And I can go do you know, the latest research and know the most knowledge and get the most knowledge about what it means as far as exercise, right? And more facts have not changed my behavior. Because don't we all intuitively know that facts don't necessarily change your behavior? That knowledge in and of itself is not enough to change who you are? I think I've soaked so much information up in my life. But what I have found after thousands of hours of podcasts, all on double speed, so it only took me 500 hours, but after probably thousands of books, and after an untold number of sermons that I've listened to, what I have learned is that I am way overeducated for my level of obedience. Is that you? I would bet that's a lot of us. You just pull your phone out, you can know a lot of things. But most of us have, are way overeducated to our level of obedience. I can't tell you how many times I've read in a book and I've highlighted a line that was like, oh man, that was so good. You guys write in books, right? I just committed a felony for some of you. You find this line, you're like, oh, that was so good. And I just keep reading, right? Or if you're like reading, the, if you're reading the Bible, right? And you get to this point and Jesus says this thing and you're like, man, that just wrecked me. That's really good. And what do you do? Keep reading, Right? How many of you stop when Jesus gives you a thing and it's like, I'm going to spend the next 21 to 30 days putting this into my life as a matter of practice? Most of us are way overeducated for our level of obedience. And what I have found is in most Christian circles, it's that my level of knowledge is all I have to put on the table to be respected by people as a disciple. Here's all the things I know. If I can quote a few authors... You know, some theologians, Oscar Kuhlman. Just, people are like, oh, you know things. You must be a disciple. But what I lack is obedience to what I know. Here's why I think that's important. I think it's in the doing that we discover our need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I think you can know a lot of things and you don't recognize your need to be empowered by God. We can know that disciples are supposed to pray for the sick. We can know that disciples are supposed to uh, raise the dead and cast out demons. We can know all of those things. We can have a lot of knowledge. But until you start to do the things that Jesus calls disciples to do, you never become aware of the fact that you ain't got what you need. That you need to be clothed with power from on high. You never know that. It's in the doing 
doing the right things. We don't need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit just so we'll have a more fun and exciting time in the church and we show up on Sunday morning and everybody can clap and jump up and down and be excited. That's not why we need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit just to be the disciples that Jesus calls us to be. That's what we need. Now, I need to say something because I'm sure there are 20% of you who are judging me right now going, is he saying? I want to talk about what this looks like. But before I say that, what I'm not saying, let me say what I'm not saying. I am not saying that, if, that, that some Christians have the Holy Spirit and others don't. It's not at all what I'm saying. The Bible is very clear that you surrender your life to Jesus, that you receive the Holy Spirit. So I'm not saying that some some Christians have the Holy Spirit and others don't. But what I am saying is that there is available to every follower of Jesus this complete immersion, this complete saturation, this complete overtaking with the presence of God available to all of us. And what I am saying is I think that's essential to do anything of worth as a disciple. And oh, by the way, it's not just me saying that, it's Jesus saying that. He says to his disciples, don't go do all the stuff I said that you could do till you get this. So it's not just me. So with that stuff said, what does it look like? Let me run through three things. Number one, it's experiential. To be baptized with the Holy Spirit is experiential. Now I know we're all Western rationalists and we sort of like reject any idea of like, uh, that we're antagonistic of experience when it comes to faith. Maybe not all of us, some of us. I know that we, we reject that, but here's the deal. There's not a place in the New Testament when, where someone is baptized with the Holy Spirit that they didn't know it. There's no room in the New Testament for people to be like, well, yeah, I got the Holy Spirit. It's like, yeah, it's good. I guess. I don't know. They said it was a theological construct. I just sort of, no, I gave my life to Jesus, and they said I have the Holy Spirit. There's nowhere in the New Testament that happens. When people receive the Holy Spirit, when they are baptized with the Holy Spirit, it is experiential. Now, there's no normative experience. I mean, I know some people are like, oh, it's tongues and all this and that. It's not. There's no normative experience. It's the experience that's normative. Some people cry, some people shake, some people fall on the floor, some people speak in tongues, some people laugh. When you're overtaken by the Holy Spirit, there's something that happens. It's an experience. You cannot be immersed in the Holy Spirit without, your, uh, ex- without experience any more than you can be immersed in water without having an experience. It's the same concept. There's always experience along with it. It's necessarily experience. The second thing is it touches everything. You know, literally the word baptize means to immerse, to be completely overwhelmed, overtaken, and flooded. Literally means to be immersed. And to be baptized in the Holy Spirit means that everything gets touched. Maybe you get immersed in the Holy Spirit for the sake of praying for healing for someone who needs healing. And yet, when that immersion happens, Jesus will talk to you about other areas of your life that are not surrendered. Jesus will talk to you about things in your life that you didn't know were there. 
Jesus will make you a more generous person. Wasn't asking him to do that. He just did it. When you are immersed by the Holy Spirit, it touches everything and nothing is off limits. It always makes you more loving. It always makes you more of a worshiper. If you have a worship problem, if you're like, man, I have a hard time with worship, what you really need, what you really need is to be immersed with the Holy Spirit. Which brings me to my third one. It's repeatable. It's repeatable. Being baptized with the Holy Spirit is not something that just happens once. It's something that becomes available to every follower of Jesus over and over and over and over. Paul, in, uh, in Ephesians 5.18, he says this. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Where Paul says, be filled with the Spirit, that's not like a, hey, you all aren't, now go get it. That's not what he's saying here. It's in present tense. He's saying, be filled and go on being filled again and again and again and again. That every follower of Jesus would expect to experience over and again and again and again to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Some of you will know the name of the evangelist D.L. Moody. You guys know that name? He was famous for telling people that they needed to be filled again and again and again and again. And somebody came to him and asked him, why do, you, why do you think you need to be filled over and over and over again with the Holy Spirit? And he said, because I leak. How many of you know that experience? I felt full and empowered with the Holy Spirit last week, and now I'm like not so sure what's even happening. This is available over and over and over and over. Friends, to be the kind of disciples that Jesus calls us to be, if we want to see in our city, if we want to see in our region, if we want to see all across this country, the kind of things that Jesus intends, we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Again and again and again. And that's something you can avail yourself to at any time. Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.